0: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Now when was the last time you sat down watching the or stood up, watching the Arsenal match? And you've just had your feet up, relaxing, chilling out, no stress at all, enjoying the football. And we've won convincingly in the Premier League, not for a while, I think. That's how I felt as we beat Stoke 3-0 at the Emirates today. It should have really been more than that. Uh, but we were very comfortable and we played really well. So that, that was um, very enjoyable. And we have got a lot of our players back from injury now, starting to slowly come back. And so much so, we could afford to have them all on the bench today. A bench of Walcott, Ozil, Ramsey, Matthew Flamini returning from injury as well. And we didn't really need him at all. And that, that's pleasing, really pleasing. Alexis Sanchez, well, what, what can you say about him? It's quite boring saying that now because I say that every week. What can you say about him? I said that last week, the week before. He is just an outstanding player, isn't he? Really? It's just the same thing, isn't it? It's Just remarkable work rate incredible skill pace great commitment and scored two more goals today the first goal was very good um, I enjoyed I enjoyed that immensely I must say so what else oh I want to talk about the, um, the combination between Kozola, Rosicky and Alexis I think our best football has, has come when those three players have been together in the side and that was the case again today Whenever you're listening into this, but yeah, I think having those three players together really makes a difference to our our team going forward and defensively as well. Because a player like Tom Trodzinski, I, I said this a lot, but I do feel whenever he's in the team, he might not produce the best assist numbers or goals, you know, goal numbers and stuff. He doesn't, he d- doesn't really contribute that way. But what he does do is he always makes players around him play better. Always, you know, he's always available for the pass. His his passing is very good himself. Short passing, and then uh, he works so hard to win the ball back. He's driving runs as well. He makes a big difference, and whenever good players, a good player around him, they all seem to enjoy him being on the pitch. As was Santi, and obviously Alexis was fantastic again today. So yeah, very pleased about that. Um, I like the. I'd like to keep Santi Wasitzki on the pitch you know going forward. I don't. I don't know how that would happen. We like to Ozil back and Walcott Ramsey back. You know, I can't. I can't see them being being um, stuck on the bench for too much longer. But we seem to play our, our better football when those when Rudzitski's in the team. So yeah. Anyhow, um, yeah, very pleased about that, and uh, we'll see how we do against Man City and see what Wenger does with the lineup. I didn't mention, I didn't mention the goalkeepers, but um, James, Elliot, and Paul are going to mention it now. So let them do that.
1: Alexis Sanchez Brace smites the Orcs and sends them back to Stoke with their tails between their legs, except they can't get back to Stoke because the trains aren't running. You are listening to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can follow me, unfollow me, or block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, I am joined by two men you will certainly want to follow, not unfollow or block on Twitter and read their blogs and just generally interact with them, visit them at their homes, uh, and possibly dine with them. Uh, first, is James? You can find him at Gooner Faithful forty nine, uh, if that's correct. I, I say it differently every time, just for variety. James, did I get it right that time or no? You
2: didn't, unfortunately, but it, it was close. It was a good Gooner fanatic. That's the one, yes.
1: Gooner fanatic forty nine. The fanatic you know that what? I am. You know what? Screw you. I corrected it myself. Uh, yeah, Gooner fanatic forty nine. But but to be fair, you keep denying that it's Gooner faithful. Is James really faithful to the Gunners? We'll cover that on our next podcast. James, thanks for coming on, though. Thank you. Pleasure yeah. to be here. The pleasure is entirely mine. Uh, and as ever, we are joined by Paul from Posing In My Pants, uh, a blog you can read and enjoy, also a Twitter feed you can read and enjoy. Uh, once again, Paul, welcome back. Woo-hoo! There it is. Yeah, and well-earned this time. We got sort of a, a sad, sorry, woo-hoo um, after, I guess it was the Southampton match, but we, mm. we, we earned our woohoo today. There's a lot to cover. Um, it was a great game. I mean, obviously, we never look forward to playing Stoke, but to be fair, uh, we pretty much had our way with them at the Emirates, and today was no different. 3-0 no victory. I don't know if they've credited Alexis Sanchez with, the, with a brace. Do you know if he was given the second goal, either of you? I believe he I
2: was, but it may be up to the dubious goals panel to ultimately decide.
1: Well, fuck that panel. That's what I say. Um it's it's the brace for Alexis Sanchez and a kashelny goal. Um the only blight on the on the match really was the Debushi injury, which we'll get to, but I want to start a new segment. We'll start with a new segment. This segment is called uh Man of the Match, not named Alexis Sanchez, because it's getting to the point really where it's boring to ask your man of the match. So let's jump into it. Start off with who your non Alexis Sanchez man of the match was. James, um, other than the obvious Chilean sex pot, who do you have as the star of the game?
2: Well, that's throwing me right off kilter there, Elliot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say Santi had a, a fantastic game once again. He's He's been a player who's been in, um, you know, if we're, if we're excluding Alexis now, he's been in the richest vein of form. Um, certainly after a slow start to the season. And it's great to see. You know, it's what's interesting with Santi is we often talk so much about his contribution in the final third of the field, but it's actually surprising to see how how deep he often drops and and the defensive contribution and the work ethic that he um it seem that seems sort to of have upped over, certainly um compared to when I've seen seen him in in the past season or two, um, which is yeah. great to see. And he he really does when when he's when he's on a form like that. He's he certainly bosses that midfield despite his you know lack of physicality that we always see we certainly crave for and um a little shout out as well to a player who often goes under the radar and gets a little bit of undeserved stick is Nacho Monreal who I thought hadn't had an excellent game you know admittedly didn't have too much to do but um, put in a you know an unsurprisingly very consistent and steady performance once again
1: yeah absolutely um yeah I, I think the the point about Santi Cazorla is is well made obviously he was not at his best early in the season, but I think you could argue that he's, he's approaching something like the form when he was our player the season a couple seasons ago, and it, it really makes a difference. Um, you know, I think, you know, Alexis Sanchez, as great as he is, you, you know, he, he can't do it on his own, and, and he and Kazorla seem to have really a fabulous understanding together now. Paul, how about you? I mean, uh, you agree with James that it was Cazorla, or do you have a different non Sanchez man of the match?
3: So I'd like to start a new feature we do every week, the Not, the not Sanchez, Not Santi Man of the Match Award. Okay. <laughs> Who would that be? That would be Thomas Radzicki, the, uh, the third, uh, what do you call him, the, uh, the um, third musketeer in the case. I, I thought the three of those guys set a tempo in that first five or six minutes I had a horrible feeling after five minutes, we were going to play the most magnificent football, which we were without a goal. And one minute later,
1: yeah, yeah, because (laughs) of
3: Begovic and one minute later, uh, Koscielny knocks in that absolutely divine cross that uh, Sanchez picked him out with. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think the three of those set a tempo that defined the game.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, Rosicky was excellent, and I thought he was really, really unlucky. Um, you know, it led yeah. to the opening goal, but that save by Begovic that led to the corner, that led to the goal, the Koscielny goal, was an outstanding save. Low and to his right, the ball was headed Brilliant. for the corner. I mean, yep. I think um, I think Rozitsky's played brilliantly, and, and, you know, there is a question as to why he didn't get a chance earlier in the season when Jack was struggling, and I, I think... He does a lot of the things we want Jack to do, carrying it past a defender, creating attacks, playing with that burst, but he does it in a more controlled and, I think, uh, genuinely, a generally more consistent way than, than Wilshire was earlier in the season. Um, a lot of talking points from this match. Uh, obviously, the, the first one is just with the, with the starting 11 because Chesney was dropped. Um, the manager said before the match that it was just due to the fact that Ospino was <laughs> impressing him in training and even goalkeepers need a rest, which, I mean, is is comically – I mean, we, we've heard a lot of things from Arsene Wenger to cover up reasons for dropping players, but that, that one is right up there. Um, James, I mean, do you – first of all, do you buy that this was rest for Chesney or Do you see it as what it obviously was, repercussions for uh, the incident uh, after the Southampton match, and then secondly, what were your thoughts of us being today? I know we didn't have a lot to do, but what 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 did you take away from his performance?
2: Um, so primarily it's a, it's certainly not a rest for a goalkeeper. When have you ever heard of a your your sort of guaranteed first choice goalkeeper ever being rested um during a Premier League season i I could be wrong, but aside from injury last season and that temporary time when Fabianski came in just to to give Chesney a kick up the arse before being injured. There was there's never there's never a time where you've you, we've seen in the past where you've seen your first first goal and just given given a slight rest. Um, especially given that we've had this we've we've had a week off since Hull and I think throughout this entire month we have games coming every every seven or six days. Um so it's a slightly easier schedule in that regard. So this isn't necessarily the time in which you'd expect certainly a goalkeeper to be rested. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of Talks surrounding the smoking incident um and it in some ways I suppose epitomizes a little bit of the 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 aspect of of Chesney that a lot of fans and um people have trouble with um which is the slight immaturity and slight sort of cockiness and that that slight strange you know mental side to to chesney, so to speak um and I assume yeah and one can but assume that spinner starting goal today was was but a sort of, was a punishment. And I think it's, I I think it's good to see that, you know, Wenger has followed through, given the fact that, you know, we brought in Ospina um, as a, as a goalkeeper who, um, he's got plenty of international caps. Um, He's got a, he's come into the side with a, with a fantastic, with a certainly strong reputation. Um, And I, I, I think it's, it's great to see that when, when perhaps Chesney has put to a certain degree his foot a, a a foot wrong, say in the Southampton game, and 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 the way in which he reacted afterwards, that we we've seen um, his competing play, the the competing player for his position come in, and and to be honest with you, I mean he wasn't he wasn't particularly well tested. The one thing that concerns me about David Ospina is he's he's only six foot, uh, which when you sort of compare that to the likes of the Crouch etc., you do wonder if. If he's going to have issues commanding his box um, in games in which we're we're penned in slightly more and we're facing a lot more set piece, a lot more balls coming into the box, um, but you know he he had a he had a fairly steady game. I mean the problem was against Hull as well. He had very little to do, and he, he did make a very a very decent save right at the end in the eighty minute after having had a very quiet game. So that certainly was promising, but I do wonder, especially when you you know I hadn't noticed quite how short he looked um, as for a goalkeeper. Um, and one of the things we, we had noted with, with Chesney in that West Ham game was just how strong he had been coming out um, and claiming balls. And I, I wonder if that's something that Ospina um, would be able to do quite so well.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I wanted to insert a commanding the box joke here, but I'm not sure we're that kind of podcast, so I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah, I, I think... There's a real question now as to where we go from here. I I, I want to ask it to you a little differently, Paul. Um, question one if for you um, in this two-part test is, uh, do you agree with the decision to drop Chesney as repercussion? I mean, I think we're just going to all assume this was that he was dropped as a repercussion. We're not going to buy into the resting cover-up. Um, but do you agree with the decision to drop him and, and for there to be repercussions for his for his actions and two, where would you go from here? I mean, I don't think we saw much from Ospina. The one thing I did notice, it seemed like every ball in the air that came to him, he waited for it to come, you know, down to about his midsection to claim it instead of claiming it as its highest point. And that's one thing that I think Chesney's been doing really well lately is going up in the air and claiming the ball at its highest point. Um so uh I guess th- the question is, do you agree with the decision and to to Uh, bench Chesney and would you continue to bench him and and let us be in a continue or would you go right back to the number one?
3: I agree with the decision to bench Chesney, but I think it's one of those really tough ones that unless you're in the middle of it, you can only make that. It feels right. We don't know all the details, you know, we kind of know what happened. Um, I think it's one of those really tough ones that only if you're in the manager spot, you know, but it's, it's kind of, you know, do you do you impact on the psyche of the two keepers? I mean, the, the Ospina factor as well. You've brought him to the club. You've promised him if there was an opening, he'd get a shot. Well, no doubt there's been an opening. You've had poor form from Chesney against Southampton, some dodgy behavior. You almost have to put Ospina in if it's going to mean, if your word is going to mean anything to Ospina. If not then, then when? So... Um, from Mospina's standpoint, you kind of had to do it. Uh, Chesney's had a few moments uh, over the last couple of years where his cockiness has got out of control. Um, So I think it's the right decision, and this was the right game to do it. Yeah,
1: I think that's fair. I mean, the reality is some of this depends, too, on how the players feel. I mean, if the players genuinely don't like and don't get on with Chesney, then maybe you have to make a a long-term permanent change. Um, we, we don't know yeah. that obviously, but again, I've always been in the opinion that you're professionals. You're not going to like everyone you work with in any profession and you want the best people in the, in the positions. Um, I still believe Chesney at, at least in terms of what we have at the club is the best for us right now. Um, and if the manager needs to make a change, then, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm convinced that Ospina would be the change to make going forward, but the, you know, that's why he gets paid seven or 8 million pounds a year. And I only get paid six million pounds a year to podcast. Um, But uh, let's move on from that. Obviously, early in the match, there was one unfortunate incident that that is going to hang over the, you know, cast a shadow over this match a little bit. That's the injury to Debushi. I I thought when Arnaud Arnaudovich, or we'll just call him Ork number two or Ork number three, whatever he is, did to Debushi was was dirty. Having said that, I've seen it a lot where players push guys as they're going out of bounds. I mean, Paul, did you think it was extremely dirty or a little dirty, but also a little unfortunate and you know, how big a blow is that losing Debushi? given, you know, I know Bellerin played pretty well today, but given that Bellerin and chambers maybe have been a bit of a weak spot in defense.
3: Yeah. I I thought it was dirt, a bit dirty. Uh, I thought it should have been punished. It should have been a yellow card. Uh, I mean, it wasn't terrible. As you say, it happens all the time. And for some reason, because the ball's going out of play, that's open season. You can do that, and there's no punishment. You do that anywhere else on the field, it's a yellow card. Well, maybe it's maybe a penalty area. They don't give it. But it's this, well, where did it happen, Rule? Yeah. So uh, it, it's kind of crazy. It was dangerous. But, I mean, most times that turns into nothing, I think, it was him hitting the, uh, what he you call it, the tarmac area or whatever.
1: It's because he was uh, in the air, I think. You know, if if he had been running, yeah. he could have controlled it. But because he had left his feet, the push, I think, caused him to land awkwardly. Uh, real quick, before you finish, I'll let you know, Arsene Wenger has come out and said, Debushi has to see a specialist, then we'll go from there. A dislocated shoulder can take a while.
3: Um, yeah. You
1: know, that doesn't sound promising, um, how concerned are you about what that does to our to our back four
3: i'd need, uh, i'd need the crystal ball for that if heller if uh, sta stays healthy mm-hmm. um i think in most games um i think we'll do very well
1: is he your first uh, choice over chambers to play that right back position now
3: uh Honestly he is I, d- I don't think he's necessarily Arsons but it was interesting that Bellerin came on today. Uh, I don't He's know, was he's my Chambers mine too, even on the it, bench.
1: No I, yeah. I, I don't think so. He's he's my, my choice as well. Um I let me let me ask you this James. I mean first of all the loss of Debushi, I think where we would really see that the most not ju- not just in terms of his experience and his strength but he's phenomenal in the air. Um and obviously is a team that can struggle you know, in our own box defensively, especially on set pieces, I think that's a big loss. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think Bellerin gives us a whole hell of a lot there. Um, you know, James, are you. L- let me ask you a question. Forget what Arsene Wenger will do, because I think we know he won't do anything. But if Debushi is out for a long time, I and mean, let's say this is three, four months, would you go get another right back, maybe a loan or something, an experienced, right back who has a lot of top flight experience given that your only two options now are teenagers who combined probably have less than 25 or 30 premier league games I and mean, probably significantly less um I, and again i'm not asking you what you think he would do i'm asking you what you would do would you go try to get a stopgap solution at right back or would you just say it's bellerun and chambers job now
2: um, well, firstly, Debussy will certainly be a big loss, um, mm-hmm. if not for his physical presence, um, and his clear sort of attributes as a right back, but also for the, again, the lack of consistency that we're able to show across the back five, um, which is, you know, in itself has been the biggest issue that we've, that we faced. Um, and it did look at, like at some point in the game that this was just going to, aside from... Getting the three points was going to perhaps be a match in which we incurred a significant number of defensive injuries because um, Casioani, not too long after Debushi's injury, was um, looked like he was struggling, but fortunately, it was just something he was able to run off. Um,
1: and and don't forget Monreal getting uh, yeah, exactly. uh, Peter Crouch elbow to the face. Right? <laughs>
2: Absolutely, and then the staples and above his uh, eye yeah. put in. Apparently. Um, I I personally wouldn't get an experience right back in, and the reason is we have. We have two right-backs in Bellerin and and Chambers, both of whom seem to be very very talented individuals. Going off Paul's point, I think in some ways you know a, a, very contradictory to um, the point I made regarding consistency. I'd almost rather see Bellerin played for home games and Chambers for away fixtures um, just because of the type of uh, games in which tend to play out with, uh, at the Emirates compared to away from home. Um, and I think if you bring in another experienced uh top class right back the issue you have is once Debushi does return you f- you find the path for either one of Bellerin and Chambers to get into the side very very difficult um and I I know I know the argument often is like if if there's a better player available you, you know you, you need to bring them in but I don't think that's where our priorities lay I think one of the other issues with Debushi being injured is that he, we saw that he was actually chosen to play at centre back with Chambers moved to to right back in one game. Was it, was it Liverpool? Um, but mm-hmm. I, what you've now have is he's he's another you know quote unquote potentially versatile player to play that centre back position who's now injured. But, um, so, let me ask you. I
1: mean, what what about going and getting a player who's not getting a lot of playing time at a, at a club but has experience who can come in and play right back but also can cover centre-back, so then maybe you don't have to go get centre-back. I mean, I'm thinking about a player, um, there's a French player at City, Baccarat Sanya, who, <laughs> uh, you know, could do both of those things. Is is that someone who you might look at? <laughs>
2: um, listen, can he play defensive midfield as well? Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't yeah, in theory, a someone who can play very competently at right-back and centre-back would now be ideal, but I think the priority still has to be at centre-back. Just because I feel more comfortable with Chambers playing um, at right back, and you have Bellerin, a very talented individual who had who had a good game today. He's he's looked he, he looked good against Newcastle. He's looked very good in the home fixtures, um, and I think this is now an opportunity for them. We've often seen in the past that younger players or players who you know you can look to Rosicki now, who have prospered through the injury of, um, of of more senior individuals, and I'm I I think that Debussy injury causes further causes further concern for the lack of centre-back coverage that we have because you, I, I expect Chambers to be starting right back so that means that he's more susceptible to perhaps getting injured which then leaves us with, I suppose, Nacho as the only possible player that can fit in at centre-back whereas uh, our, even previously our emergency option was Debushi, So yep. I, again, I, I, I think it hammers home the point that we definitely need a, a centre-back in um, and whether that's a a a, a sort of temporary stopgap in an loan or or an out, sort of older player who who might only be signed on on a two year or a short contract, um, or whether Wenger can actually get the sense of that he's he's looking for,
1: I, I take a different view of it, um, which will surprise absolutely no one. Um, you know what, James? I and I see your point, and I I agree with it to an extent. But here's the way I look at it. Uh, Debushi was intended to be the starting right back this season. Chambers was intended to be a backup right back, backup center back who would get a couple of games here and there, probably play in the cup. Bellerin probably wasn't even meant to be drafted into the first team this season. If Debushi's out, let's say, for three, four months, where it's basically his season done, you're now saying that Chambers or Bellerin are your starting right back, neither of which were meant to be that. Um... And they're going to have to play every game. And let's not forget the Champions League is coming back. Um, I know it's a little fanciful to expect us to go too far, but we have a very winnable tie, and who knows beyond that. Um, so I think I, I think you got to go out and get someone. And the reason basically being that neither Chambers nor Bellerin was intended to be an every-game starter at the position. And if that's what they're going to be turned into, the margins are so fine for us this season right now. That's asking a lot of them. Um, and maybe what you do get is a right back who can start every game, who becomes an emergency center back. And then along with Nacho and along with that right back, you feel like you have the center back position covered a little bit. Just quickly, Paul, I want I want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, do you think, again, if this is basically Debushi's season essentially done, do you think there's an argument for bringing in someone who can be the every game right back? I mean, can, can we really expect Chambers and Bellerin – to to take us the rest of the way at that position?
3: Uh, Well, you make some eloquent points, but no, I'd go the other way. I think, uh, well, I I think Wenger will back Bellerin and Chambers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think given our list of priorities, uh, I'm more in the James Segal camp here of my focus will still be finding the right centre-back DM or centre-back and DM guy that, that's proven such a a, a task mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, if we can find that guy in the window, I don't think we can. So that'll be pushed off to the summer. We just need a good loan at centre-back, somebody who can work with Mertesacker when Koscielny's injured better than Chambers has been.
1: Wait, Elliot. Uh,
3: sorry, yeah. Yeah.
1: Go, go, go ahead, ahead, James. Yeah.
3: Well, let me ask you this. If,
2: if we go ahead and get a right-back who can somewhat cover centre-back, Prior to this game, what has changed in our need for a centre back further to that? Because ultimately, we, you know, we were still we were still talking about the craving for um, a backup centre back for that of Saka and Koscielny. Right. Um, well, well, e- even well, with even with the Chambers, Bellerin all fit, um, and I don't think us bringing in a right back really solves that issue. I think I I think to a certain degree for a half a seat for a half a season you have to look towards the talent of Chambers, and I don't think there's any denying that both. Chambers and Bellarin do have talent. Obviously, with inexperience comes certain flaws to their game, which you know may may come to cost us. But unfortunately, that that can be the issue with with footballers as, as a whole with with these types of injuries. And I don't think you can change the long-term landscape of the way in which Wenger builds a squad because we we, we can't always just think about just these next few months coming up as well. That decision also has a major impact over the the 12 months um, after that. And the 12 months after that, especially if you're looking to sign someone on a three-year contract. And I do think that the centre-back is, is, is the biggest issue because koshioni in in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of days is, is going to be feeling that Achilles again. And, um, and, and the need is, is severe because that's been our biggest issue has been really that centre-back spot. And I think... I, I, go sorry. ahead, sorry.
1: I, well, I was just going to say, I don't disagree. I mean, but, but here's my point, right? What we, m- m- my belief is that what we'd be looking for, for a center back in January right now is a stopgap backup center back. I don't know that we're necessarily looking for the solution at the position. If you bring in a guy who's going to start at right back, who is a backup center back, you know, I don't think that's a lot different than bringing in a Winston Reed who sits on the bench and is only there when Koscielny needs a rest, or if something happens to Mertesacker, um, you know, I I think Nacho Monreal, although people are loathe to admit it, has been good at center back when he's played there. I think if we had a right back who could also play there, um, then your default position just becomes that, that, that guy becomes your center back or Nacho becomes your center back. And then Chambers or Bellerin can come into right back. Um, but then you'd be at a position where you have four players who you feel reasonably comfortable with playing at that position. Now, if, as you say, Arson is really looking at a long-term solution at centre-back this month, that certainly changes the equation. But I've always been of the opinion that seasons are not things you just flush down the toilet completely. And if you believe that Chambers and Bellerin are not good enough to get us over the line to, let's say, a top-four finish, not good enough to get us over the line to, let's say, the furthest possible progression in the Champions League, then I think you have to do something. I mean, it's worth remembering that Bellerin was humiliated by Dortmund away. Bellerin was, you know, subbed at halftime at Stoke. Chambers was completely undressed and embarrassed um, at Swansea. And that can happen to anyone. I'm not saying they're alone in that, but these are young and experienced players. And we have big, big fixtures ahead, and we're a big, big club. And big clubs think long-term, but big clubs also think short-term. They don't throw away second halves of seasons just because you have two young, promising players. So, I think we'll agree to disagree there, but Paul, anything to add on that point really quickly? Because I do want to get into the specifics of what was actually a very positive, upbeat, and enjoyable game.
3: Sure. I agree with all your main rationale for looking at it. I think Bellerin, A, he's, he's starting to come into his own right now. B, both those players will look a lot better when the rest of the team looks better. I mean, if you look at that Stoke game and you mm-hmm. look at who we actually put out that first time we play them, that was a pretty poor team by relative contrast to our sure. relative strength now. So Bellerin's looked better to everybody looked better today because we were better. I think that's going to be the rule going forward. And I, what's really interesting is that we haven't in the debate of center back versus right back, we're not arguing about DM right now, not not because I don't think any of us don't think we need an upgrade in that area, but Coquelin's doing well enough at the moment that it's, you know, if your hand's burning and your foot's burning, you don't worry about the fact that your, your second hand is a little bit sore. And right now, the DM area is not the piece that's, Kind of the limb that's well, burning. Well, let's get right into now. that
1: then. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll dive into the the details of the game in a second. But but since you brought it up, it's something I wanted to discuss. I mean, it's another game where Coughlin started in the defensive midfield position, and he really didn't put a foot wrong. I mean, I don't think anybody believes that long term Coughlin is well. I shouldn't say anybody. There may be people by now that believe Coughlin is the long term solution, because that's really how quickly opinions change in football today. But um, you can only evaluate a player based on what you see he's come back hungry he's taken his chance and credit to him he's played really well i think it's clear i shouldn't say it's clear but i think for most of us we believe he has passed flamini on the depth chart i'd be curious to get your idea of whether you think he's passed potentially even arteta and you know paul why don't you just sort of finish up your opinion i mean what do you make of coughlin we know he can tackle and likes to tackle he's starting to look a little more comfortable on the ball um how do you evaluate him today?
3: Yeah. Well, I think part of our issue with Cockland, if he just arrived, I think we'd be even more excited about him. I think we all got burned with him before when he had two or three, four games with, with us in the early days and he looked really slick. And then he just went to meh. You know, he'd come on and not really do anything. Um, I don't know if the Cockland 2.0 here, if he's learned what he needed to learn about keeping that intensity going. He's obviously much quicker than either of our other two DM options who are injured. Uh, He's more athletic. His distribution is not going to be as neat as Arteta's. I mean, it just never is. So if all three are fit, it's still Arteta for me. But I could see a lot of games where I'd want to see Arteta, Coquelin, when we needed something more physical. I thought Coquelin did really well today. Uh, I wouldn't quite say he didn't put a foot wrong. He, From a DM standpoint, you know, he, against Stoke, he did everything we needed him to do, but his distribution, his decision-making, you still see a few dodgy things he does, and I think we've seen that in each game. I think he can get better at that, but I don't know if he'll ever be that. He, he's got lots of... He, it's, it's interesting because he's lost, got lots of skills and tricks and really good touches, and then he does a... You know, a dumb pass where he puts it between our guy and their guy right in no man's land mm-hmm. and creates a kind of a one on one ball where there really was no pressure. So, but overall, I'm very encouraged by him. And he's, 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 to me, he's, I feel bad about poor old Flamini. I really do. I think he's done everything he can do within his abilities. Um, he just is not
1: had... enough. I mean, he's, he's not, yeah. Good enough.
3: And, he, yeah. and he's not, re- I don't think he was ever really a DM and that's what we're asking him to do. I think he was a and kind of that, the, the role I talk about with Coquelin beside Arteta, that more physical second, center, mid for when that's what a game calls for. That's what Flamini was to me. And now, you know, sometimes we use him like that with Arteta, but really he's here at this point as a DM. And I think Coquelin hasn't beaten either one of those roles.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, two tackles, three interceptions, two clearances. When it comes to touches, you know, he had the fourth fourth most touches in the team, so he's getting involved. But his pass completion percentage was 80%, um, mm. whereas uh, an Arteta would be 92%, you know, 93%. Uh, you know, Cazorla, by contrast, just to use Cazorla, mm. 115 touches, nearly double the touches, 93% pass accuracy. Wow. Um so, you know, Cazorla played 89 passes, completed 93% of them. Cochlin played 50 and completed 80. And I think that's where you see the difference. I think Coughlin is more tigerish, uh, dives into the tackle more um, than an Arteta. I think he's happier to sit more. But as far as starting the attack, linking up, keeping the ball moving, our possession game, that's where we could have an upgrade from Cochran. Those stats I'm getting from who scored, by the way. So uh, for anyone... Wondering those stats are coming from who scored really quick on Coughlin, um, for you, James. I mean, I'll ask the, the basic question in, in terms of how impressed have you been with him and, and do you even think there's a, an argument for him being ahead of Arteta? And then the other question is, has anything you've seen from Cocklin changed dear God, uh, your belief <laughs> that we need to sign a new defensive midfield player?
2: <laughs> um. I you know I've 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 been impressed with Cacalen. He's he he's done very well over the lot over the games that he's been starting the last four or so fixtures that he's been in the first team. Um, he you know he's very quick into a tackle. He he ups the tempo of the game. Um, you see him making tackles not only in our th- in um sort of our, our final th- our first third of the field but also um further up um so we ma- we maintain heavy pressure on the team and um. And especially with the likes of Alexis and Giroud and and Rositsky and Santi, players that are constantly uh, harassing opponents, you know, penning penning teams into their into their own half has, has been a big positive, especially today. Um, but the thing is, in a game like that, in a, in a game where we've got to be honest, Stoke were pretty poor. Uh, a game which we were pretty comfortable for the full ninety minutes. It wasn't the most challenging of fixtures for a player like Coquelin, and he and he has done he has done well, you know. Um, was it at West Ham and um, you know he he wasn't he wasn't too poor against Southampton despite the way in which the team played. I, I just I fear that there's some there's something about watching him and I'm the problem is I, I haven't got anywhere near the tactical knowledge to know if, if if my opinion on it is is anywhere close to being correct and it's probably far off. Um, but positionally, I'm just not sure if against teams, especially teams that play the um, players as, as well as City do the pass the ball around. I feel like he's a player that you know he, he's he's got that that sort of terrier component to him much like Mathieu, um although more disciplined and and more effective whereby i do I do feel that he sometimes leaves the back four a little exposed to the kind of work that we want our defensive midfielder to be doing um and although he does have the pace um and the quickness of mind to sometimes make up for that, I wonder if it can be somewhat costly at times, and that for me is one of the bit is is one of the issues with him defensively on top of the fact that. You know his his pass completion rate isn't isn't as strong, but I think that's something we know with that you're going to get with Fra- with with Francois. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I don't think there's there's really a case to be made for him taking over from Arteta just because I think aside from um, that bo- the ball retention that Arteta gives us and that calmness, but also that leadership quality um, in the middle of the park. And I, I do think in certain games, maybe away games to bigger sides, we might see. When once Arteta's back to have Arteta and Cochran, uh playing in that midfield, um, but then again, when you see the, the the midfielders that we have coming back, that's also uh, hard to envisage. Um, going to your point of whether he's you know he makes up for the fact that we perhaps don't need to bring in a defensive midfielder. I I don't think so. But what I do think it does is with Arteta coming back and with Flamini now as, as third choice, and given the performances he's put in, I don't think. There's going to be as much panic surrounding the fact that we won't sign a defensive midfielder this January, which we, I'm, which I'm fairly confident we won't do. Um, I think he allows, he gives Wenger that breather until the summer to be able to go and get the Schneidlin or, or the actual defensive midfielder that he, that he foresees taking over Arteta's role. Um, just because I think he, he has been good enough, and given the fact that, perhaps you know, it it is you know it's hard for us to really assess how difficult. Um, clubs find it to bring in the kind of player that, and it's a it is a position that we're looking for to be the permanent defence midfielder of the next few seasons. Whereas if you compare that to the centre back position, you know we we wouldn't you know you wouldn't be too disappointed if if a temporary stopgap was brought in. But the defence midfielder needs to be a defence midfielder of the top top quality, as Wenger would like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Carklander gives us that breather to allow. Um, those responsible for bringing a new player in to, to wait sort of until until the summer if need be.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, there was a reason Coughlin was at the club to begin with. Obviously he had talent, the manager rated him. There was a reason he left the club uh and was in the championship. Sometimes that's down to attitude and application. Um Maybe that time in the championship humbled him and he came back and he said, you know what? I'm going to just apply myself at tackling, defending, being positionally aware. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm not all that as the kids say, um and and maybe that refocused him you know obviously i'm always a believer that you should go into the transfer market because nothing's sexier than a new purchase who wants all the old players we already know when we can have sexy new players um but yeah i mean i i think he deserves all the credit he's getting whether or not he's a long-term solution i think that's probably a step too far um getting back into the game specifically um you know the the thing that was so impressive today is how we moved the ball and just kept them out of the game. You know, yes, they were poor, but I think they were poor because they just got frustrated by the fact that they couldn't get close to us at times. The manager saying, you know, we kept the game clean today because we moved the ball so quickly that they couldn't get any big challenges in, but they did try, Um, you know, and, and I think John Moss had a pretty, pretty rough game. He discovered his cards in the second half and started handing them out. Didn't seem like he wanted to hand them out in the first half. But we moved the ball really well, and and it seemed like as much as Stoke wanted to you know, make it a rugby game, they, they really couldn't completely do that. Um, a big part of that, obviously, is Alexis, just magic feet, can't get the ball off of him, and, and Cazorla as well. As far as Alexis, the manager went on to say, um, Alexis is one of the best players. He's a fighter with a combination of talent and fighting spirit, which is very difficult to find. Uh, Paul, is Alexis for you right now? On on current form and the way he's played this season, the best player in the Premier League.
3: Um, yeah, he is. I, I thought. He, I think he's exceptional at the moment. I was think. I mean, we've all had this thought. If Sanchez was Suarez, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. If
3: the guy, if we bought Suarez and if he was playing just like Sanchez is now, we'd think he was worth every penny of that forty million plus one. Or if we've gone to Tim Payton's fifty-five million, or whatever the number is, mm-hmm. I mean he's just that good. Even with the, uh, I didn't realize uh,
1: Tim Payton had fifty-five million. That, <laughs>
3: that's a good job
1: running the AST. <laughs> I'll, I'll have well, Stan, to I'll... Stan,
3: Stan. Cranky's money mm-hmm. is Tim Payton's money,
1: oh, as right.
3: is the club's money. I mean, okay. I, I don't know why everybody doesn't see that.
1: Yeah, but I anyway, all right.
3: Move um, on. I, I I thought that moment today where. Uh, Sanchez looked up and tried to chip the keeper was just so Suarez. It was like after I'd had the Suarez thought we've all had, we pro- probably all had it, uh, you know, 20 times so far. Uh, I then, then saw Sanchez try, look up and try and chip the keeper. And I'm thinking this is perfect. This is just everything Suarez could have done and more. And, just, and the thing about Sanchez is it's all about him without being all about him. Whereas Suarez, it would have just all been about him. So uh, he's just been great. He's been electric, as as his nickname is. Um, maybe there's somebody as good as him. I mean, it, it, you know, yeah. we've had the the debates about uh, you know Mata versus Kazorla in previous years, or Ma, or you know maybe Kazorla versus Hazard, and then Hazard, David you know, Silva, does some, yeah, yeah and, and and they've been those players you you know you're not quite sure if it's just your arsenal bias whereas you can really go into a debate like that with sanchez and feel good that yeah you have the best player in the league i think he's i think he's exceptional what i love about
1: alexis is that we've had good players in the past but they could be marked out of a game or held out of having an impact Mm -hmm. in a game you cannot keep Sanchez out of the game. He will come back into his area to collect the ball if he hasn't had a touch. He will find ways to get into the game, whether it's with running and tackling and pressing and dribbling or shooting or assist. I mean, he, he finds ways to get into the game. Um, yeah,
3: and, and in the way, uh, I think that's a great point, and in the way that Cazorla has his signature shuffle between his feet, Sanchez has that thing where he moves to his right, and he, the defender knows he's going to move to his right, so he moves with him. But they know he'll push it really wide, so they move really wide with him. And Sanchez is so quick moving that ball. It's kind of like that foosball t- uh, table tennis or table football thing, you know, where you shove the ball to the right and you flick.
1: You mm-hmm. know
3: what the guy's going to do, but if the guy's really good, he can move it further and faster. And He just does that, knock that ball to his right, go past a player, open up the field onto his right foot from the left. I mean, you know what he's going to do, and there's no stopping him
1: yeah, I mean James, I think uh, you know that that goal, the, the first goal that he scored today was was sensational. and and um, you know, part of it though was was also the link up play with Riziki. He seems to have a good understanding with Santi Cazorla. You know, I, I, I think now we're we're reaching a point where it's fair to start asking questions about who the manager's gonna pick. Um, with Man City coming up next weekend, and based on the way we played today, you know, Ozel just coming back. Theo still looks rusty when he comes on. I, I don't believe Welbeck will be available. He's still a little bit away. Would you would you stay with this lineup? I mean, just based on the 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 understanding they seem to have. Uh, keeper issues aside. And by the way, I will point out that in his post match comments, the manager. Uh, had a comment on Chesney. He basically said, I don't want to talk too much about that. The more I talk about it, the less I will inform you. So I think he's moving a little bit away from that nonsense of, I rested the keeper. So we'll have to see how that plays out over the week. But because of the understanding that Alexis is starting to develop with some of these players like Riziki and Ksorla, would you be tempted to just say, you have to stick with this lineup at this point? Um,
2: I don't think you have to because I think the one – major change you'd probably look to make is, is bringing in Ozil for a Um, and let me just
1: read one thing to, um, in, in relation to that one thing that, um, that the manager said about him, he lacks match fitness, but he's physically, he's fit physically. He'll be back fully in two to three weeks. So do you think that's maybe a little hint that he doesn't want to make that move yet? Well,
2: it's it's funny. I, I I was about to read that quote myself as oh, it I'm sorry. on my on my timeline. No, but <laughs> it, yeah, you you did a far better job of it, Elliot, than I than I would have. So. You I uh, am quite the news
3: yes, Thank you.
1: Um,
2: no, I mean I think I think the team will be pretty much the same, Debuchy aside, and I I imagine Ospina will keep his place, especially given the fact that you, perhaps you can you wouldn't consider a City to be you know the, you wouldn't consider their major threat to be that of consistent set piece and balls coming into the box as such. Um, now, do you bring in a play? The thing is, w- with regards to the understanding that's formed between Alexis and specifically Rositsky, because the f- the understanding between Santi and Alexis be- has been f- fantastic to watch, and certainly uh, um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain to a certain degree as well, um, certainly between him and Santi. But, you know, Rositsky's only come in for the last few games, um, and he, you know, he hit the ground running pretty quickly in the QPR game, he scored, you know, even, even when we were down to 10 men, and I think he's he's shown that sometimes it doesn't necessarily, although he, you know, he wasn't injured as such, he'd been training for um, the entire season without playing, but, you know, sometimes it, if if you've got the quality and if the team is playing well, sometimes you, you can fit right into that side, and I, the problem is when when you're talking about Mesut Ozil, where Let's not forget, we're talking about one of you know potentially one of the best players um, in the world. So I, I, I still think it will be a tough decision for the manager to to immediately to you know straightforwardly keep that first eleven when you've got a player like Özil or uh, mm-hmm. uh, who you can possibly bring in for a game like that against the um, against City at the Etihad. Um, but yeah, and no, I, uh, I, 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 based on that, I I wouldn't be shocked to see Mesut start next week. Um, although the quote, as, as the quote, as you, um, so eloquently, um, read out is certainly does suggest that Rosinski might start next week.
1: And by the way, I just want to take this moment to plug. If you want to reach me at Yankee gunner on Twitter for all your reading needs, um, you can find me there and we, we can work on, uh, uh reading for your weddings, graduations, bar mitzvahs, all celebrations. So just, and, know. and gunner
2: faithful 49 is also, um, a top, top Twitter handle. If you want to, if you, if you want to pra- practice your speech and, uh, um, and, and anything of the sort.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, but, but you definitely don't want to miss Gunnar Fanatic 49. That's really the one. <laughs> um, uh, so, hey, let me ask you this. This is a question that comes from our producer, Mean Lean. You can find him uh, at Arsenal Vision on Twitter. Uh, it's a question that I want to phrase, I, I want to preface, and then I'll ask you really quickly. I don't believe we could have only had one. So I don't think that is necessarily how it works. But if you could have only had one in preseason, would you have taken Sesc or Alexis, knowing everything we know now, James?
2: Oh, Linus, what have you done? Um, uh, for a straight comparison between the two, I would certainly take Alexis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really...
1: He's phrasing it, you could only have one. Obviously, I want to preface it by saying I don't think that was the case. I think we could have gone for both. But if you could only have one, you would go for Alexis?
2: Well, certainly. I mean, he's he also, it's a position that we needed more um, than the one in which Cesc plays. But even aside from that, you know, we've, we've just discussed that I think you know, Alexis is, is right now the best player in the Premier League. He's so effective. He's so effective. Uh, he's so direct. The uh, the argument against that, by the way, since I I I, I didn't um, talk about it, was that you know I guess with Aguero having being injured, he's the, he's really the major the the other major player that you could perhaps um, attest is, is, is the one that could sort of is, is at Sanchez's level at this moment in time, and to a certain degree, Hazard. But you know, <laughs> it's bringing up Fabregas sort of you know brings a um, a whole lot of other discussion to the forefront, but probably something that I'd rather not get into.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm the I'm the one of the biggest complainers about not getting Sesc out there. I think Tim from Ars to Mouse uh, chairs that committee, but um, I would, I if I could only have one, I'd take Alexis over Cesc. Um I just, I, I, he is quickly becoming, you know, one of the Arsenal greats. I mean, I know it, not Arsenal all time greats, but you know, just over the over the last few years. Um, I mean, what about you, Paul? A- any? any misgivings at all if you could only have one would you do it differently are you very happy with how it worked out
3: happy with how it worked out i think the the baggage aspect especially for Mm -hmm. arsenal as a club you know you're not talking about him coming to any club you're talking about coming back to arsenal i think that's a that's a risk you don't take now if you could have both you take both, uh, you know, I still struggle with that one because we're pushing Ozil out to the wing maybe to get him on the field. Well, we're doing that already
1: is... to get Jack Wilshire on the field, but that's another story. Uh, exactly.
3: <laughs> so you throw sesk in, the, you know, it, it, you're starting to pile up. It, again, it comes back to that's not where our issue was. Now, I, 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 I you know. I, I, look, look, let's let's do this. Let's honest, not retrace pers- our steps. I still personally love sesk so I have all of that. But in the way that a femme fatale, you just can't get, you know, in a film noir, you just can't get the woman out of your blood.
1: Yeah. Well, well I, I I, think we made the right choice between the two. The question of whether we could have had both mm. is, a, is a question for another time. Um, we're going to enter what I like to call Elliot's criticism corner. This is the part of the podcast <laughs> where I find something to bitch about. Um, this is my
3: favorite part of the this podcast. This is the
1: favorite part. So. I thought it was a brilliant performance today. Um, We got to see Ozil, a little bit of rust, but but still had that one spectacular backheel flick to Nacho Monreal. No idea how he saw he was there, knew he was there. Theo Walcott, I mean, obviously great that he got into the position. The finish was atrocious. Um, It's disappointing. Let's just hope it's down to rust. I mean, but in general, Theo has actually been a pretty good finisher, uh, at least in recent seasons in his career. But, a player who didn't really impose himself today didn't really seem to link up particularly well or or have many things working in his game um is a guy that I am loath to criticize and rarely have a, a negative word to say about but it's Olivier Giroud um Paul I don't think Giroud was was particularly involved today I thought when he got involved he didn't offer a whole lot and I think right now it's sort of murky as to who the real center forward option is Alexis can play there um, well back is obviously probably not too far away. What did you think of Giroud's day? They also seem to get wound up a little bit by the physical play. He kind of shoved Shaw in the face and given that he's just back from a red card suspension, I mean, maybe not the smartest thing and any thoughts on, on Giroud today and, and whether, yes. you know, he's doing himself any favors in terms of holding down that, that first choice center forward position.
3: Yes, I have some strong thoughts on Giroud today. I thought he you, You'll be
1: surprised to know why. Oh, really? Okay, bring it on then.
3: I'll <laughs> uh, tell you why. I, I don't think this highlight reel will be much to, to write about, but I think there were two factors that set the game the way it was. Our three musketeers playing at a pace that Stoke couldn't live with, and then our spine of Giroud, uh, Coquelin, Purr, uh, and with some good – Good uh, teaming with Kishelny, giving Stoke plenty of physical pushback that they didn't have in that other game, and I think, I think Giroud's job was to go out there and fight and to impose. I mean, we've seen before where we've said, how come the energy was so this, or how come our tempo was so that? Well, our tempo was high, and from a physical standpoint, we looked well up for it. And Giroud's job out there was to get in there and knock them about. And let them know we weren't there to be screwed with. So um I, I thought it was really good today. And I think it was there was there's no mystery as to why we didn't feel like we were getting bullied. We we moved the ball so quickly they couldn't get at us. And per Kakala and Giroud in particular let Stoke know we weren't going to be screwed around with.
1: Okay. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I certainly think there's an argument to be made that you just can't afford to be too lightweight. Um, You know, he, he did get put in once I think by Sanchez and wasn't really able to make much of it. I, I think the thing that bothered me about his game the most today was just the lack of pace because there were opportunities for him to be a support on the counter attack and get him behind the back four. And he, he just, he can't run past anyone, which, you know, with the the speed of Oxley Chamberlain the speed of, um, uh, Sanchez, you know, the speed of some of the other players we have who could come into the side, like Welbeck or Walcott, you know, he, he, that's not really what he does, and he works well as a pivot at times, but today I don't think the play really pivoted around him, in part because Sanchez was doing so much work off the dribble, as was uh, Cazorla and Oxlade Chamberlain.
3: Um, anything uh, to I, add? I, yeah, go I, ahead. Sorry. I'd just like to quickly say, I think that was a lot to do with the space afforded by Coughlin, or by uh, Giro taking on the center backs and scrapping in the middle of the part of the, their, their box and on the edge of the box. That was my feeling on it. But again, I'd have to watch it a second time. That was my feeling from the energy of it rather than an astute eye on it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, two shots, one on target. He did win three aerial duels. He played 25 passes at a 64% completion percentage, obviously not so fantastic, um, again, all these stats coming from who scored, and I believe that those are Optus stats. I'm not 100% positive, but I believe they are. Um, you know, but I mean, overall, I mean, look, it's not that he did anything wrong per se. I just thought he was peripheral. Um, anything to add on Giroud James? And another player I think we can talk about, uh, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, who. Really frustrating day in a way because we're seeing this from him now. Some spectacular build-up play, real pace and directness and energy and dribbling. I mean, he had six dribbles today, which uh, led the team, actually. Sanchez with five was second. Um, but then couldn't really seem to find the final ball or, or get his shot on target. Uh, so anything to add on Giroud? And also, what did you make of, of, of Ox's day?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with... Poor in the sense that I sometimes think it's a little difficult to assess the the intangibles associated with the dynamic of the of the team that's that's set up. Mm-hmm. In the sense that I think Stoke were forced to defend in a certain manner, given that you have that physical presence in the middle of the park, surrounded by um, the speed, the, the 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 quickness of speed of of Sanchez and uh, and Ox and like and the quickness of thought of Rositsky and and Santi. Um, and so I think that th- that dynamic really allowed Sanchez and, and Alex and, and those four the, and, and the three musketeers, as Paul has referred to them, as to, to flourish. But again, that that's not really down to any like particular you know distinct tactical insight of mine. It much like Paul, that that just seems to be the way in which um, the game panned out. Um, I'm not sure if you know if you'd had Theo Walcott in his place with Alexis through the middle, whether Stoke would have been able to. Um, change their setup, and and whether that uh, by having too many creative and quick smaller players, like we saw against Southampton, whether that would have sort of restricted the way in which we could have um, gone at. So because I, I, there were still several times where the ball was, you know, the ball was sort of just lumped forward. I think you it's difficult to also really assess just how how much easier the team. How much more comfortable the team feels in tight in, in difficult situations defensively to just you know whack the ball up forward towards a, a Giroud and, and to have that type of outlet um, and it's it's also tough to assess with with those types of stats because often the types of aerial duels that you're you're forcing Giroud to get involved in are tends to be the ones that he might be more likely to lose um, when you look at his pass completion. Admittedly, it was it, it, it wasn't great, but. Um, he 's also tends to be in situations that where he 's playing past that are slightly riskier than um, than other players on the field um, that 's not to say that he had a fantastic performance but i mean again it's it 's down to having that sort of balance in the team and I think also um, what was quite surprising is for a player that is very much that pivot up front he there were several several times um, where I was Uh, quite pleasantly surprised by the amount of times he each he came back and won the ball back very deep an hour and a half um so it's nice to just see that sort of work ethic you know in in a similar way to the positives we talked about having Danny when Danny Welbeck has been in the side and and Alexis is is that you know defending from the front to the back and um I think that's something that we've we've struggled with in in the past and something we haven't necessarily seen with the team Mm -hmm. now moving to Alex, I it, it's interesting you bring that up because it's it's a funny one with Alex. But uh, for much of the start of the season, he was the, he's been the bright spot during a especially during a period in which we were quite tepid as a side, um, where there weren't many positives to draw from from various performances of ours. Um, and every game, he he has that ability to drive past players and and make things happen. But as you say, he doesn't he hasn't. Really, yet the season, shown a consistent level of 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 productivity from an as from the aspect of of assists and goals. He he got the assist against West Ham for Danny, um, and there was that moment in the game where he played in Santi, who um tried to chip the goalie and was only a few inches away from um having a tick trickle under, that trickle under some the that was a
1: sensational play, yeah.
2: Um, and you know just before I think it was just before or just after he got the ball on the right and he, he he shrugged off the left back and he, he, you know, he burst into, into the box. So he's always creating problems. I, I wonder with him because his, his shot technique is, is, is very strong or it certainly comes across as a, 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 he certainly comes across as someone who, who could be scoring a lot of goals. I wonder if maybe, you know, he he requires just, you know, getting one or two, uh, you know, somewhat lucky goals or or getting a, getting a goal and then, and then another one consecutively and, Maybe over time that will take place, and just sort of building that confidence, in, in the same way to what you might look towards Theo now, who gets into more direct positions because of of the way in which he approaches the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, th- I I I think when you have an Alexis on the left, um, you can and you know a player like Santi in the form that he's in, you can you can somewhat afford uh, a player who who's taking those risks and who's constantly beating players and, and causing problems, but not necessarily providing that final um, touch to it because I think I'm at least I I think that that will that will probably will come over the over the next uh, next few weeks and months.
1: Yeah, I I, you know, I think the thing that was just so interesting today and so good to see is we we started to see some of the 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 flare and the sparkle in the final third and the interchange of the ball and the movement, the passing and I think some of that just comes from understanding. And between Rositsky and, and Cazorla and uh, Alexis Sanchez and Oxlade-Chamberlain, they they started to seem like they were really understanding each other. And, and you know, I, I think Ox is another one whose position is going to be directly under threat with the return of Mesut Ozil, Danny Welbeck, Dio Walcott. And you just – if if that final ball was there, he'd be impossible to take out of the side. But right now you just wonder – I mean – we did spurn some fantastic chances today, and, and obviously it was a great, comfortable 3-0 win. Um, but missing chances is something that over the past few weeks is, has been a little bit of a concern. So you'd like, you'd like to see him in particular starting to get those shots on target and hopefully scoring some goals. Um, let's wrap up on the game just with an analysis of two players who made late appearances, uh, Theo Walcott and Mesut Ozil. I thought there were some bright moments um, for Ozil maybe not quite as much I mean Walcott only had six touches in his in his appearance and in his previous appearance it was something similar Paul um, quickly uh, what did you think of, of of Ozil and Walcott and fully understanding that they are shaking off the rust anything there that that encourages you
3: I just thought it was funny uh, Ozil um, you know he's only on the pitch for a couple of minutes. He hasn't been back for ages. You'd think he'd be full of energy and like, you know, like a little rabbit running around all excited (laughs) and uh, you know, he did a couple of nice things but his body language was so classically Ozil, so kind of like disappointed (laughs) languid. You know, you look at him and he's not moving at all for a moment, but of course, that's classic Ozil. It's like his stealth mode. Yeah. Um, So you know, he, he's not tired. He's not, uh, it's not like he's played 17 games and he's all, you know, struggling with existentialism. This is as excited as Ozil will ever look on the pitch. Um, right. You, you know, he'd had that clever little flick so he could feel good about himself. And yet his body language went straight back to shoulders slumped, kind of whatever. That's, you know, that's Ozil. That's what, that's what you get, so.
1: Yeah. I mean, having said that, right, he he got into the position to, um, you know, to make that that one flick, but also nearly got it, you know, got him for a goal. So,
3: sure. I mean, uh, yeah. And my comment is not that he didn't play well in his 10 minutes. It's just that if you're ever going to see him looking like he's loving the game, you would think this 10 minutes when he's just back we're three nil up, he's getting chances. He's yeah. getting a chance to show up. You know, the body, that's just Ozil. That's his body language. Well, maybe you it know, teaches us not to, to read
1: with... his body language as being representative exactly. of anything. Uh, yeah, I think yep. that's a good point. I mean, um, James, obviously had that fantastic flick. Uh, what about Theo? I mean, it's a really bad miss. Are we just going to praise him for getting into the position and, and call it rust? Or is there more to it? Because, I mean, a confident striker in that position, I don't think, takes that shot that early. I mean, he looks up, either rounds the keeper or he just passes it in either corner. Um, only six touches. He didn't really get very involved in his previous appearance, and also a little bit of that casual body language in the defensive half of the pitch. You, um, you have any issues with Theo, or you just you just say that's Walcott, and he's making his way back? Um,
2: the one thing I think is important to qualify for both of the players coming on was that the game had become su- seriously pedestrian by that point.
3: I Fair mean, enough.
2: even at three nil, like both. Stoke looked completely disinterested in the game, and and the tempo of the game had dropped significantly. Um, not too long after scoring that third, and so I think it, in some ways it was a, like it it was a fantastic opportunity. It was the opportunity that Wenger had been looking for to bring on the um, certainly Walcott over the last few weeks, but um, you know and o- and Ozil and the players that are just coming back from injury. But because of that, you could you could sense that our tempo had dropped. It, it's a little more difficult for. The attacking players to really sort of stamp their authority on the game when, when the team itself has dropped slightly. Um, that being said, you can't you can't take too much from it. I do, as you mentioned, when he was through on goal with the kind of pace that he has. I mean, he's norm- you know. He, he's normally taking that touch and, and heading and you know taking himself into the area before, um, at least in the past, starting it away. But that was not only did he. Did he take the shot very early but he dragged it quite significantly wide so it was it was disappointing to see but I think a lot of strikers would attest that uh, you know when it comes to goals confidence is by far the most important thing it's so, uh, away from technique et cetera I, and I think that of all things is what takes the most time when coming back from injury you don't really you lose your your technique you don't you know and one of the interesting things listening to a theo interview has been that one of the big positives aside from the personal uh life aspects has been that he's finally been able to work on his his physique and the physical component um to him given that because he was he was shoved into the first team at such a young age um he missed out on that sort of aspect of his development so you know, really, that time away is it, a lot of it's very, very uh, you know, is it, very, very closely tied to the mental aspect of, of the game, and, I, and that in particular is going to take a little while. Um, and I'm sure certain players tend to recover quicker than others. And I think we can only really start to make a a, pre, a, a concise judgment on Theo um, in a few weeks from now. And Fair enough. And uh, with without meaning to to sort of hog the microphone, but I, I have to just say how happy I am to have Mesut Özil back because it is Mesut Özil. Um, and I did love Paul's point on um, his demeanor being the exact same no matter sort of the context of um, of, of the match itself. Um, but it, it it it's great to just to, to have a player like Ozil back. And and although it was it was a, it was a tough period, as I mentioned, for a player for a player to get into the game. It was um, nonetheless, especially that, that little touch to Monreal, just great to see him back.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a challenge with Ozil because I mean. With Kazorla in his current form, you just don't want to touch him. You don't want to move him. You don't want to change anything about him. But Ozil can't play next to the holding midfielder as a deeper playmaker. Um, so, again, do you, do you shift him out wide? Do you really want to move Cazorla out to the wing the way Ozil's been playing? It is a conundrum. And with with Ramsey nearly coming back, he definitely is the best fit for that position next to the deepest-lying midfielder along with Rusitsky. Um, You know, those two would play next to Cochran or Arteta – that leaves really one position if you're going to play that four-three-three three or the four-two-three-one, and that's got to go to Cazorla right now. I mean, it just has to. There's there's no way you can move him in his current form. So it's it's going to be an interesting question. I mean, um, any anything to add on Theo though, Paul? We got we got your thoughts on Ozil. Yeah. Anything on Theo, real quick?
3: Yeah, uh, I had the same thought on him shooting very very early, but he has previous with that. I remember Absolutely. Uh, I tweeted the same thing. Champion, yeah. yeah, Champions League qualifier, maybe it was against U- Udinese, Udinese a few years ago, and he was like he was counterattacking, it was one-on-one versus the keeper and he shot from miles out. So I th- I think he likes that because he He hits it so straight and true when he's on form. I think he's fine hitting it from distance. So that was the one thought I had on him. So to me, it was Ross.
1: I mean, uh, to be honest, he he has done that and done it successfully in the past. And I think it's sort of a little bit of Thierry Henry influence. Mm -hmm. He kind of has that Mm -hmm. style of finishing. Um, Obviously not that quality of it, but that style. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I was just asking for him to round the goalkeeper every once in a while because I just think from a percentage Mm -hmm. standpoint taking it early i think is a lower percentage way of approaching that ultimately but anyway um you know we we've gone on for over an hour so we should probably look to wrap it up uh we have city away next week obviously we know our record recently in matches against top four opposition especially away this was 6-3 last season i believe Hopefully, you know, I mean, we've got Sacker and Kashelny back right now. Fingers crossed they can start next weekend. They look great today. Whoever he picks at keeper, we just have to hope they're up to the task. I mean, um, it'll be very interesting. Certainly, we, we have the options now to hurt them. They won't have Yaya Torre, who's off uh, the African Cup of Nations. They'll have Kunigueru back. Maybe we'll get lucky and he won't be quite fit enough to start, but I would doubt that. And we'll just have to see what happens. Um you know, In the interim, the good thing is we don't have midweek, so we can take time off. I don't know. Do either of you guys know, are, are, do they have a Capital One Cup time midweek or anything midweek? Or are, is this an mm. off week for English, fo- English football?
3: No, I do don't, you?
2: unfortunately.
1: I think it That's might a great be an off I, I know the, the Capital One Cup was well, semifinal should be going on, right? Um, this is how much you pay attention when we get knocked out of <laughs> the first hurdle. Anyway. <laughs> well, let's Elliot, leave, it's the Capital there.
3: One Cup. Who cares?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. It's totally irrelevant um, and has been ever since we lost to Brum in the final. Um, unless anybody has something to add that's going to totally change the nature of this podcast uh, and, and improve it exponentially, I'm happy to wrap up. James, do you have anything final to add?
2: No, no I, I do not. But thank you ever so much for um, okay. having us on as always.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, so let me just uh, do the usual bit. First of all, that voice you heard is James. Found at Gunner Faithful 49. Although I'm sure someone lovely can be. He can be found at Gunner Fanatic 49. Uh, and if Gunner Faithful 49 has a problem with that, uh, I suggest you meet James and have a fist fight. Uh, James, thank you so much for joining us. Cheers, mean. Yeah, and Paul. Uh, Paul can be found in his home, I imagine, but also yes. on- online, and uh, that's the interweb. For those of you who, it, he has a blog. It is called positive in my pants. He has a Twitter handle. It is also called positive in my pants. Follow him, Paul. Thanks for coming on.
3: Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, James. I'll add one quick positive note, which is I'm actually reasonably optimistic against city of the top four or five clubs. We actually have pretty good games against them. So uh, they, just... they tend to, they tend to come at us. So it should be a fun game and we might get a result. So we'll see. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think that's a positive way to leave it. And I, uh, the man who uh, has been uh, in- interrupting and in- uh, uh, preventing these other two from making their critical and crucial and uh, erudite points today, I'm Elliot Smith. You can follow me, unfollow me, or block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, we will be back after the Manchester City game, hopefully even more ebullient than we are today. Always a great day when you can beat the Yorks. They can't go home because the trains aren't running. Love the chant, uh, the song three nil and you can't go home that was a particularly fun moment um uh by the way one final note that will cheer everybody up banger said today that the injury to debushi doesn't really affect us in terms of transfers because quote we were in the market anyway ha ha there it is definitive Mm -hmm. statement of intent okay we'll leave it there and we'll talk to you after manchester city cheers